Welcome to Mind, Body, Spirit, a transformation podcast with Laura Lund, where I interview masters, seekers, and teachers in the quest for thriving, not just surviving. My guest today is Crystal Ann Hansen. Crystal studied at the Himalayan Institute and Devanati School of Yoga and Wellness. She's an Ayurveda yoga specialist, nutrition coach, 500-hour experienced registered yoga teacher, sacred activist leader with a BS in psychology. She combines nutrition, Ayurveda, yoga, exercise, meditation, mantra, mudra, eating programs, and cooking touching all aspects of a person's life, and offers private wellness consultations, workshops, and classes. Be sure to register for her amazing vegan Ayurvedic yoga classes through Zoom, and perhaps I'll see you there. You can visit her Facebook business page at Crystal Ann Hansen plus nutrition, or get on her email list at crystallannyoga at gmail.com. You can also click the link in the show notes. Welcome, Crystal. Thank you for chatting with me today. Good morning, Laura. And it's truly my honor to be your guest and share about some of the, my passions of my work. So thank you for having me. Yeah. So I, I have to ask you, what is an experienced registered yoga teacher? I mean, I haven't heard, I haven't heard of this certification, this ranking. Oh, interesting. Well, there are many certifications and levels um, in being a yoga teacher. And according to Yoga Alliance, which is sort of the organization that certifies yoga teachers, um, has some regulations. It's either being certified in a 200-hour teacher training program or a 500-hour teacher training program. And then after you've been certified to teach a certain number of hours and the certification where I'm at is a 500 hours. So I've completed um, that much minimum in training. And then I've also taught a minimum of 2000 hours after receiving that certification. You've taught that or you've taken that? Taken no, that. no, I've, I've taught that. Oh, so part of being an experienced yoga teacher is that you've taught that many hours after being certified in either um, the 200 or 500 hour training program. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that. I've seen the 500 hour, but I haven't seen this. So mm-hmm. thank you for clarifying that. So sure. have you always been, have you always been in this unconventional line of work or? <laughs> um. Somewhat. I did work in the natural products industry for the majority of my career. And I did that because I was really interested in my own health, the health of my children. And that was a really interesting career, which actually introduced me to many of the things what I'm doing now. It helped introduce me to Ayurveda, healthy practices for living, eating well, And I held many different um, titles, if you will, or many different positions in that industry. So that industry was to promote products that were healthier, whole foods, um, 
you know, whole grains, whole packaged foods that were coming out into um, the mass market. And like I said, I held many positions there. I worked as a broker, which um, my organization was hired to market and put new products into the industry. I started there and then I worked up to being a manager, ended up being a vice president of a brokerage where I managed a team across the US and Puerto Rico and Canada, but mainly promoting natural products. There'd be supplements, aromatherapy oils, um, healthier products that may be packaged. And the basic job was to get these products into distribution and get them into the retail market. So it was a really interesting job and I worked all ends of it. I worked in the field as a broker. I worked for a distributor. I worked for a manufacturer. So really interesting career. And then what turned, what led you to yoga from, from there <laughs> to Ayurveda? Yep. Good question. I think all of it just being, um, I was trained as a, a fitness trainer and I really loved sharing that with others. I was doing that for a while as part of my job, um, working for a healthcare fitness center. And as I got introduced to more aspects of meditation and yoga, I thought, why am I not doing this? I just saw the beautiful benefits in practicing myself. And I thought I need to share because if we look at ourselves, we're, we're pretty complicated, but we're also pretty simple. Um, and any practices that we can work with our physical self, our mind that affects our emotions, our body, our spirit, it's all of us, you know, what we eat, how we live, it's all integrated. And as I learned about these different modalities, I just thought I need to be certified so I can share this with others. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about Ayurveda. Yeah. Can you, can you tell, uh, give us some background on Ayurveda and explain what you do with that? I would love to. How long is the podcast? Five hours, <laughs> six months? <laughs> it is a deep subject, but I really like to make it sort of simple for people. And let me just start with the word Ayurveda. It comes from the Sanskrit language and Sanskrit is the oldest known language in existence. And Ayurveda is the oldest known healthcare system that is still in existence. And the word itself, we break it down. Ayur means life. And Veda translates to wisdom or knowledge. So we put those two parts of the word together and we have wisdom of life. And that is what Ayurveda is. It's the wisdom of life. Well, that could mean a lot of things. So. I think of it as being the innate wisdom of life, what we have within us. And Ayurveda is based on something called the five elements, those elements being fire, air, 
ether, earth, and water. And Ayurveda explains us how we were put together at the time of our conception, right then when we were created. And it, these five elements are part of everything in existence. So it explains our bodies, our physical matter. It explains everything. My, and I my, can talk, I go ahead. Say one of my favorite uh, teachers, Alan Finger says, we're just a bag of muddy water. <laughs> well, with also some fire and, and some air and ether in there. And that's a good point because we are all very unique. And it's one of the reasons that I really love studying Ayurveda and working with clients with Ayurveda practices, because we're all unique. At that time of conception, we're given the bits and pieces and those percentages of elements and how they reside in us. And it depends on how our parents were at the time, where we were conceived. There are many factors, but basically they're within us. And we're given something that's called, it's our physical matter. It's called prakruti. And we all have certain percentages of these elements. And then these elements form together in something called doshas. And I've learned through my many Ayurveda um, training and my own experiences that the doshas can sort of explain everything. <laughs> so let me, if, if, if I yes, can, just go ahead. Talk mm -hmm. a little bit. Let me go back to the elements and just explain a little bit about each one. Okay. Fire, I think, is quite easy for most of us to understand. We know fire is transition, fire is transformation. And in our bodies, fire can be considered as digestion. All of those systems that are sort of sparking and sort of burning. And fire is called Agni in Sanskrit. And we think of the main Agni in our body being digestion. Interestingly enough, there are 40 different Agnis in the body, and I won't take time to go through those. But think of fire as transformation. We eat our food. We bring in thoughts. We have to digest our thoughts. Basically, everything we bring in is food, and it needs to be digested. So that's just a tiny tip of fire. Air. Air, we connect with oxygen, breathing, the nervous system. Some of us might feel air in the joints, especially during this time of year. Um, so thinking of the actual sort of physical air. Ether, also, also known as space, was always sort of the tricky one for me to wrap my head around. Me too. Yeah, so the way that I've come to terms with it is to think of air, or I'm sorry, ether and space to sort of be the feng shui <laughs> of how our internal organs are organized, how things are organized in the space within us, how we're organized in the environment and space around us. For example, right now, I'm sitting in my living room on the floor and so I'm in the ether of my own space and there are other things in my space. So kind of thinking of how we're organized. And there's that term of like someone's in my space. 
you know, we've had that experience of walking in a crowd and all of a sudden the person in front of us just stops and we run into them. That person's not really aware of their space or the ether that they're in. So does so, that yeah, help so a little bit? Let me ask a question about that. So in yoga, we say, you know, find space, breathe into the space. So is that's what you're talking about, like getting that space within the body, like kind of re- getting you know, I think of sometimes we are compressed, like we get compressed throughout the day, but either would be getting the space back. Yes, in one way. And I look at that, um, the fascia, all of our connective tissue that sort of holds our joints and our bones and holds us together. When we can get deep and stretch that, that literally gives us more space in the body. The bones have more room to move. You're talking about getting compressed and we can do that, especially, you know, being in stressful times, we begin to fold in and we really want to open up so we can breathe the air in, which is one way to do that, which can also help us create space within. Okay. So we can bring in both of those elements there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. So hopefully that's a little bit more understandable. Sure. And then the element of earth, I think is quite understandable for most of us it's in nature it's the actual earth it's the physical mud the the rocks all the things that have more mass and it's the same way in our bodies it's the mass the weight of our bodies it's our bones our muscles all those layers of tissues and in ayurveda we say that we have seven main layers of tissues are called datus so it's the mass the the bulk of us And then the last element is water. And in nature, again, I think we can relate to flowing streams and rain and ocean waves and water. We can think of water as being very fluid and flowing. And in our bodies, we have a lot, a percentage of our bodies are liquid and water. More so as we're really young and as we get older, some of our Fluids tend to dry up a little bit, especially fluids around the bursa sacs and the synovial fluid, but we still have a lot of water in us. And that element of water can remind us of how we can move in the flow of life. So five elements, um, fire, air, ether, earth, and water. Any questions on that or how does, does that sound pretty um, clear, Laura? That's clear, but then that would lead us to the doshas, correct? Yep, to the doshas, exactly. So the dosha, I believe literally translates as imbalance, but we also look as a dosha, at a dosha as explaining a lot of things. And it's a combination of the elements. And there are three doshas that we talk about. One is called vata. And vata is the dosha that is composed mostly of air and ether. So when we think of vata, we've already talked about the qualities of air and ether, a lot of movement there. And this would connect with the nervous system in the body. The seat of vata in the body is actually the colon. And so a person who has more of a vata dosha might be very thin or very short or very tall, have more airy qualities. They might have more um, 
thoughts floating around in them. They tend to be very creative people. So when they're in balance, they can be very creative artists, musicians, putting all those talents to fruition. When they're out of balance, they tend to not be able to focus, not be able to think clearly. And fall is a season that is also known, fall and winter is known as Bata season. And so I like to think of autumn when the leaves are falling off the trees and there's this swirling. Sometimes you can see little tornadoes of swirling leaves. That's very Vata. And that's how our minds can become if we have a Vata imbalance. Yes, I'm Vata. And if I have too much caffeine, (laughs) it's a problem because I can't... uh, I just get overstimulated, overthinking, have a bunch of ideas, can't bring anything to fruition. Yes. And those would be very common um, imbalances in vata. Vatas to be balanced need things that are very grounding. Yes. Have routines in their days, eat more grounding foods. And I'll talk a little bit more about food later. But there are six tastes in Ayurveda that we talk about. And depending on what dosha you are, if you have more of those of certain tastes in your diet and your eating plan, that can help you be more grounded. And eating certain foods, because foods also have these qualities of these five elements. And so really getting to know yourself and what elements are presented in you and what doshas are there, we're... We have the dosha that we're given at birth, but we stray from that. And that's how we get out of balance. And that's usually the dosha that we have to pay attention to because we need to bring it back into balance. And vata is a thing that moves everything. Vata is air and wind and we all have it. Some of us have it more and some of us get more out of balance with it. And especially during the season of vata, or maybe during the daytime when it's time of the day of Vata, which is like two to six. So there are all these ways we can talk about the doshas and bring it in, but I'll move on to the next dosha. That's okay. Mm -hmm. The next um, dosha I'd like to talk about is called Pitta. And Pitta is composed of the two elements of fire and water. So we know fire is transition. Fire can also be very heated, very sharp. Um, In the body, it's digestion. It could also manifest as inflammation. The seat of pitta in the body is a small intestine. So a lot of processing going on there. Pitta's ten, pitta people or people who have more pitta dosha tend to be very intelligent thinkers, very focused. They create routines. They like to be in control. When they're out of balance, anger can fire up. Think of that fire, the flames just moving through the body and anger can just be there instantly. They heat up. Their tongue can be very sharp. They can be perceived as being very blunt and maybe (laughs) non-loving. But when in balance, pittas get things done, very controlled, very focused. They tend to be, have very good, strong digestion. And they tend to overdo 
if they're out of balance, controlling everything, filling up every second of the day, feeling like there's never any free time. So <laughs> a little bit about Pitta and then how it manifests in the season. It's a lot of fire and water. So it, it coordinates with the season of summer when there's more heat in the environment, you know, nature is providing more sun and heat. And so if a Pitta is feeling out of balance, the heat might just the heat and exhaustion of all of that coming together might increase the fire uh, in the body and in sort of the mind of a Pitta person. Um, the time of day for Pitta is 10 to 2, and that applies to both morning and evening. So these are times that can be most productive for anyone because it's Pitta time. It's a time to focus, to get things done, to Take control of things. And so if you're a Pitta person, this is your time. You really can get things done. But anyone, a Vata person or Dosha would benefit too because that time of the day might help them to find a routine, be in the routine and let their thoughts congeal and let their creativity come to fruition. Can I, uh, I'm just thinking of, of Vata. I mean, maybe this, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but... I'm thinking of, I'm looking at this two to six time frame for Vata. And I'm thinking of all the people I know that wake up at two o'clock and can't get <laughs> back to sleep. <laughs> so, yes. so what happens to cause that? I mean, everybody will say alcohol, sugar, caffeine, like all these things. I mean, all the people I know that wake up at that time, you know, hormones, you hear all these things. Mm -hmm. uh, but as far as Ayurveda, What's the um, philosophy around that? Mm -hmm. Well, again, this is considered um, 2 to 6 a.m. and 2 to 6 p.m. are Vata time of day. So that's the time of day when there's more ether and more air. It's your nervous system can be more alive. And if you tend to be out of balance already connecting with air and ether and sort of I don't want to say negative, but I just did. So, and out of balance, then you're connecting more with that. And it can actually wake you up because our subconscious keeps moving. And, you know, you mentioned alcohol and what we eat. And definitely what we eat, what we drink definitely has an impact on the elements within us, how we live our lives, how we feel. And a vata per dosha it's recommended to not have alcohol, not have caffeine, you know, as you mentioned, it affects you not have a lot of stimulants because they promote this botanist in the body. And so I would say, according to Ayurveda, yes, there's an imbalance there of vata within. And because it's vata time of day, it's increasing that. And you're talking about the AM. Another example would be, you know, for any of us who've worked in an office with other people or, you know, since we've been in quarantine working alone at home, let's say you eat your meal around noon, which is a good time to eat it because there's a lot of pitta and a lot of fire and digestive ability. But what happens then around two o'clock, um, maybe you've noticed or other people listening have noticed you're just not as focused as you might have been in the morning. All of a sudden, you might be talking more to your office mates. You're doing projects that might not be your work projects. There's 
this ability to get more distracted because it is vata time of day. And that's the sort of energy that time of day brings. So again, if you already are dealing with an imbalance of vata dosha, it can just increase that. Yeah. And I, I always, I always think also like we're so busy during the day, like two o'clock is the only time we actually really have to think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait a minute. What's that? I said, wait a minute. <laughs> no, I do find that a lot of, a lot of us, we just don't have any time to think during the time of the day. We wake up at two o'clock and that's when we can, the house is quiet. Nobody wants anything from you. And you can actually process and think at that time. Mm-hmm. And I would say from an Ayurveda standpoint, thinking might be okay, but maybe even being in more of a meditative state or coming deeper into yourself, you know, doing some grounding breath work. It's not really a time um, that would be recommended to think about doing. It's more of a time to Process, if you well, I was could, more like processing your day, right? Yeah, processing your day, but you want to be able to get absolutely to get the thoughts processed so you can be more grounded and go to sleep. I can see where that's going. That might be very helpful. Um, sometimes it can increase Vata if you're going back and looking at your day and saying, oh, that was stressful or that was hard. But if you can then take it and change your thoughts and maybe give yourself some positive affirmations, you know, maybe do a little breath work. And when you decide to, okay, I'm going to go back to sleep now, you know, set a sankalpa or intention for yourself that just says, I'm going to have some really restful, deep sleep and tomorrow's going to be a great day. Then I can see where it might be very helpful, but I do hear where you're coming from. Yeah. So, so last week uh, I spoke with Kevin Corton, and he gave us a great exercise on um, the breath and using mantra shanti. So on the mm-hmm. exhale, using shanti uh, mm-hmm. to get back, you know, to get to sleep for sleeping. Do you have any little tri- tricks like that? I have about a million of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, that might be a little, over- well, I'm mostly pitta. So of course I have a million of them. Um like I said, just telling yourself, setting some po- saying some positive things to yourself, you know, reassuring yourself that you are unique, you have all you need within you, you honor your unique gifts, which sometimes we turn around and sort of bash ourselves for or criticize ourselves, finding that peace within yourself. Um, I think those are really important. And just connecting with yourself, connecting with maybe where you're feeling out of balance. And breath work, just something very simple you can always do in bed is to think of inhaling maybe to four counts and exhaling to six or eight. Whenever we let the exhale be a little longer than the inhale, we're inviting um, the parasympathetic nervous system to become a little more quiet and it can become become more relaxing. Inhaling and holding the breath is said to allow prana, you know, vital energy in the body to circulate. So maybe holding the breath at the apex for as long as it's comfortable and then have a long release. So just something very simple there. 
mm-hmm. for more of a calming type of breath. If, I think that's what you're asking me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Okay. Back to the dishes. <laughs> right. So we're moving into, um, the last dosha, not that it's last, it's just that we're talking about it last. And this is a dosha called kapha. This dosha is composed mainly of the elements of earth and water. And in our bodies, um, the seat is in our lungs. So we think of the water and respiration and breathing. And it's also, kapha really relates to our immune system. In nature, of course, it's pretty easy to relate to the earth in springtime, which is kapha season. There's all the mud and the rains and the heaviness. There might be really dense heaviness in the air, like it's almost hard for us to breathe sometimes. And a lot of moisture, a lot of wet humidity in the air. And that's how kapha can reside in our bodies as well. So often a person who is more kaphadosha might be heavier in nature, have more mass to their body, maybe carry um, more weight than others. They might have bigger bones, often have a very big smile and associated with big, really eyes, often curly hair. I mean, there's so many things we can talk about. So when a kapha person, kapha dosha, is in balance, kaphas are very loving. They're the affectionate ones. They're like a big teddy bear that wants to give everybody a hug and nurture everyone and just sit and hang out and be together. Um, When kaphas are out of balance, they tend to be very very attached to something, attached to an idea attached to a person or a pet or something that is gone. And this can create a lot of grief. The seat of grief in the body is also the lungs. So often I will see someone who has been grieving or who has had a great loss in their life. They're having symptoms of being out of balance in kapha. Maybe they have congestion in the lungs um, you know, something bronchitis, even we, we can manifest disease in the body when our doshas are not in balance. And so the other things that can happen with kaphas is they become very lethargic and might want to just sit on the couch and eat comfort foods, you know, a very sort of stereotypic, if again, I, I'm using that phrase, so I just said it of a kapha being out of balance would be just laying on the couch, eating a pint of ice cream in sweats that they may have worn for three days and have no desire to get up, no need, and they're just perfectly content. (laughs) But that is an out of balance kapha. And we can feel that sometimes in our bodies, especially we're currently in vata season, fall and winter, but toward the end of winter, we start coming into that cusp of kapha season into spring. And just a few days ago where I live in the Midwest, we had a very kapha day. It was very heavy, dense fog. It was cold humidity in the air. There was a mist in the air. And 
as I talked with my family and friends and students that day, people were saying, I just feel so lazy today. I don't want to do anything. And that would be a manifestation of kapha. Yeah. So, so let's just say a vada person gains a bunch of weight. Then is that, would that be a kapha imbalance or a vata imbalance? I would look at that as being a kapha imbalance because we are what we are. We are the doshas that we're born with. It never changes. But when we get out of balance with the doshas and the elements that we are meant to be manifesting, that is an imbalance. So if a vata person gains weight, there's a, a kapha imbalance. There's a reason there might be some sadness or some grief or, you know, other things manifesting um, that cause this imbalance. So yes, that would be considered a kapha imbalance. And then, you know, as a counselor working with someone, I would work on getting the kapha back into balance. And so Ayurveda is very unique. It's very unique to each person. And one of the sort of lines that my teacher was always talking about when we were, when I was doing my Ayurveda certification studies, we would ask a question and she'd say, it depends. Like really every question, it depends because we're all so unique. And that's one of the reasons I love this practice is working with individuals because you might be vata, pitta, I might be that, but we manifest it very differently. And when we get out of balance, we manifest it very differently as well, depending on what we're eating, if we are or not digesting our foods, our thoughts, grief, how we interact with others. There's so many factors there, how we're interacting with nature. So I would look at that imbalance and then ask a million questions. And find out what's really happening in that person. Why is there this imbalance to the best I can and then invite practices for them. And with the kapha out of balance, when the kapha is laying on the couch eating ice cream, I would invite them to be more active, maybe to get less sleep, to wake up earlier in the day. Kaphas like to sleep late. The kapha time of day is six to 10 a.m. and 6 to 10 p.m. It's a time of day to get up and get moving and get the immune system active, active and get the body moving and all the fluids, you know, prana energy moving in the body so we don't fall into that trap of being in the kapha time. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's so much more yeah. I could explain, but I, I think that hopefully that answer your question at least a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I have a little bit of experience with, you know, like for instance, today I woke up at six Oh seven, but of course I did not Mm. want to get up. I went back to sleep and I had to get up at seven, but I was so tired Mm -hmm. at seven. And I think if I would have just gotten up at six, I would have been fine. Yes. And that's, Well, probably, (laughs) depending on what else is going on with you, you know, it depends. But yes, according to Ayurveda, if we get up and get moving before that kapha time of day, it's sort of like we meet it head on. 
And if we sleep late, and I, again, I talked to so many people just throughout my lifetime, you know, friends, clients, students, and many of them will say like you did, I stayed in bed because I was tired, but then it was harder to get up. And some people, if, especially if there is a big kapha imbalance, they may never get that energy up during the day, might just want to be on the couch all day again. So it is important to, or at least important suggestion to get up before that kapha time of day. And for kaphas, it's recommended to um, get up earlier than other people because they need that time to wake up and embrace the day and get their bodies moving, get those lungs functioning, get the immune system working. So would a kapha person, uh, would it be good for them to use coffee for that sort of thing? Kaphas, um, kapha dosha. Well, I would always say use something natural, <laughs> you know, like breath work right. and stretching, moving your joints. But through my nutrition um, training, I've learned that a little bit of caffeine can be helpful for some people. And kapha dosha is a dosha that would be able to handle stimulants where vata, it would not be recommended or pitta, it is not recommended to have caffeine because that's like putting fire in fire. But for kapha, it can be, um, it can be a little more awakening. And then I'll just say, you know, that's up to a certain point. I believe that's like eight to 12 ounces of something with caffeine, everything in moderation and finding what works in your lifestyle but not becoming dependent on that. You know, that's <laughs> because remember again, when kapha is out of balance, they like to attach themselves to something, a food, a routine, a person, mm -hmm. yeah, an experience. So, so everything is a balance. And <laughs> we always go back to being in balance with the elements, especially as it manifests within us, especially that those main doshas that reside in us and then sort of, that innate knowledge of Ayurveda will tell us, wow, I'm feeling like I can't think today. My thoughts are just swirling. Oh, that must be a vata imbalance because that's what vata means. Or I'm so tired, I just can't even function today. And that's where we start. And it's just a starting place to get to know yourself and how everything works within maybe adjusting your eating plan, your sleeping habits, establishing some routines, eating those six tastes and Ayur, um, six tastes of Ayurveda can be very helpful. And it doesn't have to be strict. You know, sometimes anytime people hear, oh, an eating plan um, or doing this, they feel sort of constricted, but there's so much room for exploration and finding what helps you feel good. You know, sometimes Go ahead. So this, so the six taste of Ayurveda are, um, you're, so ideally you would have all six taste. Yes. In one meal. Um, it, okay. And then can you talk, talk about absolutely. the six taste? Um, the six tastes in Ayurveda are sweet, sour, salty. And I think those three, most of us can relate pretty easily to. And then the other three are astringent, bitter, and pungent. And, and so it's recommended that we have all six of these tastes in every meal for just balance within us. 
But then we look at, well, if we are of a more pitta within our constitution, then we might have a different percentage of these tastes that we want to eat. For example, if we have a pitta imbalance, we want to have more of the taste of sweet, bitter, and astringent because those tastes help to balance out the excess pitta. And there So what is astringent mm -hmm. exactly? Astringent is a really interesting taste. If you think of eating something and it sort of makes your mouth sort of curl up or <laughs> your lips come together. Like well, vinegar. And some of these things sort of overlap. Vinegar would be, I think, considered more sour where it could be considered a little astringent. So mostly raw vegetables are considered to have astringent properties. So things like green beans, um, a lot of raw vegetables, spinach, pomegranate seeds, pomegranate juice, chickpeas are considered astringent. Zucchini is considered astringent. And then many of our spices, golden seal, turmeric, um, alfalfa sprouts and other sprouts are considered to be more astringent. Okay. And then bitter, I think of like bitter yes, greens, those, bitter leafy greens. Absolutely. Like and those are my favorite things. Um, all the bitter leafy greens and also um, things like coffee, um, chocolate with a high percentage of cacao is considered bitter. Um, we can also get that, again, turmeric has a lot of bitter qualities, dandelion, dandelion root, aloe vera, neem, you know, some of these sort of esoteric things. And so, again, kind of eating, like enjoying these six tastes for the elements, for the doshas, and also with the seasons. So look, if I can give a quick example, as we move into springtime, spring is the season of earth, right? It's kapha season. So there's a lot of heaviness, but what is nature giving us? Things are sprouting up from the earth. Things are sprouting in the trees and from the plants. And some of the first things we see in spring are these bitter greens, the cold weather plants of arugula, um, beets, spinach, um, these kale, these leafy greens, which our bodies need this bitter quality to help process the gall and increase that in helping to increase our digestion. Because mostly during vata season, the fall and winter, we eat what's available. You know, Ayurveda also tells us to eat for the season. What's seasonal? Well, in the winter, What's available is from the last growing season, a lot of heavier foods, root vegetables, nuts. Maybe we eat more meat if you're a meat eater. And so in the spring, just like nature is refreshing itself, the earth is becoming alive. Nature gives us the foods that are more um, astringent and bitter and pungent in nature and tells us to eat that. So it all really works. It's a, it's a really good system. 
Yeah, I think about morels popping up in my backyard. Mm. What about? Can what? I come over and get some? <laughs> <laughs> um. So what? So I, would those fall into that same yes. category? Yes. Whatever is first coming up and offering itself in the spring are things that nature is saying, this is what your body should be eating right now. And, and if we always mm-hmm. think of that, it doesn't make Ayurveda seem so harsh. I you know I've, I've worked with clients and suggested that you might want to eat, you know, a pitta pacifying eating plan. And here are the things you might want to eat more of than other things. And, you know, if you're already pitta, you don't want to have control taken away. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be told what to do. But it's it's made easy if you think of eat what nature provides. Eat there, um, mm-hmm. what nature gives you. Eat seasonally. Eat locally. Eat to correspond with the dosha of the season that we're in because those are the foods that nature's providing. And all of our foods have, you know, these different qualities and have these six tastes and also have qualities of the doshas and the elements. So it's just like practicing yoga. You think you've mastered a pose, but there's always another place to go. We think we've mastered something in our life. There's always more learning. You know, I always feel like I want to always be a student of life and I want to be a teacher but there's always more, there's always more and not to be overwhelmed, but to be open to accepting what there is to learn and then going to that next step wherever you are. And with Ayurveda, it can just be learning more about yourself, the effects, what happens when I eat this type of food? Well, maybe I'm not craving anything anymore. A craving is a symptom of an imbalance. So anyway, so the, that's a little bit about. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's hard too because everything is available to us all. Oh, the time exactly, all exactly, and that's where you have to find some discipline because we can get anything we want. However, mm-hmm. it's it's worth an experiment. Um, I'll just say that to anyone to see what it feels like to eat for your own constitution, to eat things that are more in season, and. This was a concept that was difficult for me when I was doing my Ayurveda studies or even having a session with my Ayurveda practitioner. I'd be, I'd say nothing is in season. I live in the Midwest. Nothing is in season. So you eat what was grown in the most recent season. And so those are the fall vegetables. And like I mentioned, they're the root vegetables, carrots, potatoes, beets, turnips, squash, pumpkin, nuts, seeds, things that are very grounding and things that they can weather quite well if they're stored, you know, carrots, apples, um, those types of foods can really last us to the spring Mm -hmm. until we're ready to start eating and, you know, offer eating what nature is offering us. It's a good time now to start growing sprouts in your house when we're on this cusp of vata takafa. And I often have some alfalfa sprouts or red clover sprouts growing, offering that astringent taste and the green and so much nutrition and vitamins. So, so many things we can do that are really pretty easy. 
Mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't gotten into the sprouting. Um, but so I know my, I know my dosha is vata pitta, but for anybody listening who does not have a clue what their dosha is, I mean, I know it makes a little bit of sense, the fire, the air, the earth, but how can people find out Mm -hmm. what their dosha is? You can have a consultation with me (laughs) or someone else who does this work. Um, There's quite a bit of information online. And as we look at any information online, be careful that you go to a reputable source. The way that I do it with someone is um, there are a lot of questions that I ask, and that can be in the form of paperwork, asking very intimate, personal questions. So I can really get tuned into the dosha. Where were you born? What is the time of your birth? Um, How often do you have elimination? How often is your BM? (laughs) What does it look like? Is it soft, hard, non-existent? Get into really detailed questions so I can see and understand the qualities of the elements and how they're manifesting. So very detailed questions, asking the person about their preferences and what they choose, how they choose their activities, how they choose to live their lives, what they eat, how they interact with others. And there's also a physical, um, I'll call it an exam, if you will. There's um, a looking at the color of the hair, the shape of the eyes, the measuring. I usually measure the bones. Um, There's a reading of the tongue. You can learn so much from the tongue. It's so amazing. And there's a very specific way to take um, pulse reading, which is very different than pulse reading you know, in Western medicine. So all of these things combined can help determine what the prakruti, the dosha is, you know, the main constitution that you were born with and also tell where the imbalance is. So what you might find online if you were looking at reputable sources would be a dosha quiz. And that might give you a speck of an idea And you have to be aware of, are you filling it out for how you are at the time of filling it out? Because that would most likely tell you what your imbalance is, how you're manifesting qualities right now. If you're filling it out for your main constitution, then you might think of how you were, oh, maybe when you were 10 or 12 years old, if that makes any sense. So, okay, so... um... For as far as everyone should eat with the seasons, everyone should eat for the dosha time of year. We're currently, it's just turned March. So we're in late winter approaching Mm -hmm. spring. So does Ayurveda use a spring detox? I mean, is it just eating more of the greens? Is that enough? (laughs) Well, that depends. (laughs) (laughs) And it really does depend. Ayurveda does suggest having two cleanses a year and they would be as we're literally into spring coming definitely out of winter into spring. And the other time of year would be coming out of summer and transitioning into fall. And the theory behind the cleanse in Ayurveda is to take in nutrition, 
um, eat complete healthy meals, but maybe more of a mono diet that contains certain foods that allow the digestive organs to work, but not work so hard to sort of rest, um, allow the body to rid itself of excess alcohol, caffeine, gluten, other toxins we call ama um, in Ayurveda to help the body sort of clear out these things and kind of restart and then establish, you know, your healthy eating plan, coming back, orienting yourself into eating maybe more for your dosha and for the season. And sometimes there are, you know, herbs suggested, there are, um, there's a tea called CCFT, cumin, coriander, coriander, fennel tea, which are kind of like the big three spices in Ayurveda, along with um, turmeric, but making a tea and helping your body sort of cleanse with that. But it's a tea, it's considered tridoshic, so it's good for everyone. So yes, there is recommended, but again, it depends. Um, if you're living a very clean lifestyle, and let's say you're you have really good digestion, you have good clear focus in your life, you feel balanced most of the time, your elimination is good and daily, your relationships are good. You know, you feel like yourself, that's kind of a Midwest term, but you feel good. There's really not a need um, to do a cleanse. And for another person who might be very out of balance, who maybe has spent say the winter eating a lot of really heavy, rich foods, extra gluten, a lot of excess alcohol, then I would say that person might greatly benefit from doing a cleanse. The length of cleanse, the exact type of food and herbs and spices and vegetables that I would suggest would be very different for each person. There's some similarities because some things are tri-doshic, but it also can be very specific. So I'm, I'm doing my best to answer your questions, but it is a very unique process and decision and way that we live with Ayurveda. Yeah. And, and I personally, you know, like if I need a detox or a cleanse, my body will tell me because I will not feel well and then I won't want to eat. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so if you have a craving or your body is feeling heavy, there's something out of balance. So then that's a, a signal for you to say, I should stop eating those potato chips, or I need to make sure I'm eating really good, fresh, local, seasonal foods, healthy protein and grain, and get back to where I feel good. So it might be what you're calling a cleanse or a detox might just be getting to, getting to a place of eating healthy whole foods. Or it could be something more strict if that's what you choose to do. Um, I would not recommend that for just, you know, doing a cleanse at any time of the year. Um, for someone, according to the Ayurveda principles, but if I'm working with someone who, you know, definitely is, there are also six stages or phases, phases of disease and how they manifest in the body. And if someone is sort of in that first or second stage of disease, I might recommend some 
eating plans that would be somewhat of a cleansing nature <laughs> to specifically help eliminate extra gluten, extra caffeine, you know, again, depending on their lifestyle and what I see manifesting. So tell us a little about your cooking classes that you offer. So those I would guess would be for the season that we're. Yes. Um, First of all, I I'm currently offering virtual cooking classes online and I have to say I had my doubts about teaching them this way because I really like to be with people and have them smelling the spices and touching their food and engaging with all their senses. But I have discovered over the last year of offering these classes that I can still invite people to do that and their cooking and the comfort of their own kitchen, their own home. So yes, I do offer meals that we cook, dishes that we cook, um, that coordinate, definitely have Ayurveda basis, which is basically how I do all of my cooking. I also choose to be vegan and gluten-free. So all of my classes have those aspects and definitely um, coordinate with the seasons. Um, I'm offering a cooking class this Saturday and something we're making is a cauliflower coconut turmeric stew. So we're going to have some anti-inflammatory with properties with a lot of um, turmeric, stimulating the digestion with ginger. Coconut milk can be very grounding and soothing. And then cauliflower is one of those vegetables that comes from the last season. And when and there's more involved, but as we combine everything and cook it together, something else that sort of manifests in Ayurveda is when we take properties of different foods that have bata, you know, pitta, kapha properties, and properties of the five elements and cook them together, they often become more tridoshic, which means they're helpful for all doshas. And that's what this dish is. We're also making um, a turmeric lemon rice. Lemon can be very cleansing in the body. It's very warm to the digestive system. A lot of turmeric again for the inflammation and to get out some of some of the dryness that we might be feeling in our joints from vata season. And we might feel some discomfort as we come into spring with kapha as well because of the humidity. So yes, um, we're also making stuffed dates and dates are very grounding for vata. So I look to definitely offer things that are seasonal according to Ayurveda, because that would be beneficial to most people. Yeah. yeah. And tell, tell us where to um, find, find those cooking mm-hmm. classes. Um, I use Facebook to I have a business page, um, Crystal and Yoga Plus Sign Nutrition, and also my personal page, Crystal and Hansen. I would invite anyone who's interested could also get on my email list, Crystal and Yoga at gmail.com, and that's C R Y S T A L A N N Y O G A at gmail.com. And I'm happy to um, get the word out. Um, My cooking classes have been growing. I'm offering more. And I also limit each class to around 15 people. 
that's so I can interact with everyone as we're cooking. They can ask questions. I also talk about Ayurveda and why we're making the food. I also bring in nutritional aspects, the vitamins, the minerals, the fiber, why we're eating this type of food, what it will do in the body, the vipaka, the end result of how you might feel for eating this. So, um, so it's kind of first come, first serve and sign up and... Yeah, it's pretty simple. So are you, you're not on Instagram for people that don't have Facebook? You know, I'm not right now. Um, it started out, like I said, I was a little timid to offer these classes online. And now just by word of mouth, it's growing so much that I'm basically using Facebook, email, referrals. And I may go to something a little more widespread in the future. But um, right now, I really, um, it's been really fruitful. Visit the Facebook page because you'll see the beautiful food. It's so gorgeous to look at. Thank you. And, you know, that's part of engaging all of your senses and connecting with your food. I, I always start my cooking classes with us all taking some quiet breaths together and honoring Mother Gaia, Mother Nature for providing the rain and the soil and the food and all the people it takes to grow our food, you know, those who are fortunate enough to grow the majority of your own food and, you know, gardens or pots, but many of our food, most of our food comes to us from someone else. And we have to honor them planting and nurturing and harvesting and growing and getting that food to our homes. It's, it's all part of it. And we can think of the gratitude offering that Look at the beautiful colors and the textures and smell and feel and cook with love. You know, we're feeding ourselves. We are what we eat <laughs> and everything is food, our attitudes, the media, everything we take in and the food itself. So, yes. Thank you for saying that, Laura. That is a great note to end on. Cook with love. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for joining us today, and um, I will see you in cooking class soon. I will look forward to having you, and thank you to you, Laura, for, again, this invitation and this opportunity, opportunity, and thank you to all of those who are listening. Have a beautiful day.